mysteries that lie beyond the veil of darkness are best left unseen, unheard, unknown. But there are those with the temerity to bargain with malevolent forces and to harness the unspeakable powers that will surely lead to terror at Collinwood. Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. I am your hostess, Danielle, a.k.a. Penny Dreadful, and I am absolutely flabbergasted and absolutely honored to have my guest here today. The powerful witch Angelique Bouchard Collins first appeared on Dark Shadows on November 22nd, 1967, and became an instant sensation. The character remained an integral part of the series, returning on a regular basis to weave her spells on the residents of Collinsport and on Dark Shadows viewers. Joining me to celebrate Angelique's 55th anniversary is Lara Parker, the incredibly talented actress who played the role and several others on the show, as well as in the MGM film Night of Dark Shadows. In addition, she's appeared in many television shows, including Kolchak, The Night Stalker, The Incredible Hulk, and The Six Million Dollar Man, and in films such as the Oscar-winning Save the Tiger, the horror action thriller Race with the Devil, and in two of Ansel Farage's Dr. Mabusa films. She's also a successful author and has written four books that are set in the Dark Shadows universe, Angelique's Descent, The Salem Branch, Wolf Moon Rising, and Heirs of Collinwood. Lara has also reprised her Angelique role in a number of the Dark Shadows audio dramas from Big Finish. It is my great honor and privilege to welcome the one and only Lara Parker to the show. Thank you for joining me today, Lara. Oh, hi, Danielle. Hi. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on. Oh my goodness. What a what a pleasure it is to have <laughs> you here today. Um, well, thank you. <laughs> well, I, I know you uh, recently just uh, celebrated a birthday uh, as of this recording. How, how, how did that go? 84. <laughs> I yes. Never in fact, that. I had a Zoom meeting and I had visitors, one from Bali and one wow. from Nice, France. So it was really amazing. And then several from around the country. Oh. On my birthday. It was, it was really a great birthday present. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I was telling you before we started recording, I was at a Sea View on Halloween, Sea View Terrace, and right. I went to yeah. Jimmy Hutchinson, and he, he told me he'd sent you flowers, and I just thought yes. that was the He's, He always sends me flowers. Oh, that's so sweet. It is, yes. <laughs> um, so I know... Um, Last year, you were involved in this uh, Christmas Carol event. It was a, a cast reunion with uh, with the Dark Shadows cast, which was sensational. Uh, I loved it. Well, thank it won, you. Oh my goodness, I loved it. it won a Rondo Award. As we I had recall. one rehearsal. I don't know how we did it. <laughs> wow, I can't believe it. It was just you. I guess you, because you had all worked together so often uh, back uh, when you were doing Dark Shadows. Maybe it just was kind of like an organic getting back together, getting the yes. team back together. Well, well, we had conventions every year for a long time so we stayed friends we'd yeah. see each other once a year and, and uh, catch up and so I, it's been an unusual show in that respect that all of us have remained in touch with one another and we all like each other and it, it's been an added blessing 
in a sense, to have an, an extended family, which is the Dark Shadows family, mm-hmm. those of us that are still around. Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, and I, I had, I've had the good fortune to attend two of the Dark Shadows festivals. I wish I had gone to more, but I could see that uh, camaraderie, uh, you know, right on stage as we were all interacting with each other. It was really a pleasure to see that. Um, so we're, we're here to celebrate the 55th anniversary of Angelique's first appearance on Dark Shadows. And uh, as I was telling you before we started recording, my uncle introduced me to Dark Shadows when I was a child. And um, of course, I saw Barnabas, but he started, mm-hmm. would tell me about their ghosts and, and werewolves. And I remember asking him, is there a witch? He said, oh, yeah. Angelique, mm-hmm. <laughs> just yes. the tone of his voice. I'll never yes. <laughs> so, I mean, your character, like uh, Barnabas, like Jonathan Fred's character, like Quentin, David Selby's character, your character became uh, a, a pop culture icon. I mean, you're, I, I have Angelique uh, bubblegum cards and uh, action figure and bobblehead and the lunchbox with Angelique on it. How, I know how, I have them too. <laughs> I love that you have them. I love that you have them. How is how does that feel? I mean, knowing that something that you wonderful. helped bring to life. Yeah, <laughs> it feels wonderful. You know, when I started out, I thought um, just, you know, just being on a soap opera was you know, not certainly my goal, but it was wonderful to get a job. But, you know, I wanted to be in the movies or on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was years later that I realized that that had always been the best job I ever got. And then as the years have gone by and it's remained popular in so many areas, I've, you know, I've come to appreciate it a lot more. Well, it certainly has a quite a quite a following still to to this still day. Has a following, and it it almost seems to get better every time you watch it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it <laughs> does magic, I guess. Right, it really it is. Uh, you you mentioned uh, Broadway. I mean, in in many respects, Dark Shadows had that feel of live theater to it. Uh, would that be accurate to describe it like a summer stock kind of a? company it very it felt very much like summer stock we there were a lot of bloopers a lot of things went wrong they went in on the air just as they would if you were on stage somewhere Mm -hmm. and um because we taped it live Mm -hmm. so the tape we did was not the tape that was shown that day but it was never edited Mm -hmm. so it was live so if a mic came into the shop or a piece of the scenery fell over and bumped into a gravestone which was made out of styrofoam (laughs) and it flopped at your feet you know or a fly landed on your nose all of these things went on the air so Mm -hmm. it had that kind of and and more importantly the feeling you had when you were doing the show was one of being in, in a live theater because of the of the fact that there was no editing. Mm-hmm. And so it had that kind of tension to the performances that I think gave it the energy that appealed to people so much. Mm-hmm. And it still comes across this. There's a, there is that sort of um, just a, a feel to it that you certainly don't see on, uh, on television these days where everything is so processed and, and, edited and, and refined to the point where mm-hmm. uh, that's that well, spontaneous. Well, I did some more soap operas, and if you made a mistake, you got to stop. Yeah. But mm-hmm. we didn't ever, we were not allowed to stop. Sure. So if someone forgot their lines, you just had to kind of help them along until they remembered them. Right, right. Which you were, you were very good. I know sometimes Jonathan would drop a drop a line here and there, but you were always really good at uh, kind of yes. picking well, up he on had a hard he had a hard time with lines. Yeah. He, he freely admitted this. Mm-hmm. And he always wanted to run lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, 
catch you in the hallway and say, run around. let's run our scene. Come on, let's just run our scene. Right. Because right. He, he just did it all by memorization. Mm-hmm. Other people learn lines by a kind of interior action that mm-hmm. the lines are part of. But mm-hmm. he, uh, other people just memorize. And when you just memorize, you can blank, go blank. Right. And you what, know where you are and you have no idea what your line is. It's very what do you scary. what do you what do you do uh, to memorize lines? Um, I create an action under the lines mm-hmm. and the action is the through action of the scene so that it it's every single moment is motivated by the moment that came before. So I may not know exactly what the words are, but I know what I'm going to say because I know what my reaction is. Right, right. Because so I learn, I create an under the under the lines action, mm-hmm. and it's really the better way to learn lines. Right, right. Oh, yeah. To associate that that action with the, yes, the feeling yes. and what what the what yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, now your character Angelique, of course, is known and beloved by so many fans, and you played a a, a witch. Uh, you also played a vampire at one point. Uh, but I, I look at Angelique as sort of a, a successor to that archetype of um, uh, Medea. I played Medea in, a, in the Greek tragedy once, and she's, of course, you know, this vengeful sorceress from, from Greek tragedy who, to get revenge on her husband, who's gone off to be with the princess, she murders her own children. Is Angelique, did you draw on any of that, or, or was that this something that were you pulling from any sort of previously existing witch archetypes at all in your portrayal? You know, I've been asked this a lot. You know, were you into uh, spells and witchcraft? <laughs> and, and you, you know, do you believe in witchcraft? And of course, the answer is no. But right. I was, you know, I, I had a pretty good education. Mm-hmm. And I was very much interested in Greek mythology mm-hmm. and Greek drama. And um, but did I draw on it? You know, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Other than just maybe subconsciously, mm-hmm. because there was a sense of the it was very highly dramatic. Our show, mm-hmm. we, we were encouraged to play every scene with a kind of heightened emotion. Yeah, yeah. The directors would say, "I want more from you, mm-hmm. or you're not going to get your close up, or you know, something like that." <laughs> silly, but they wanted that sense of that dynamic, dramatic sense. Mm-hmm. And they also wanted us to play it completely, make it completely believable. Mm-hmm. And we didn't do it with that arch kind of campy uh, performance the way Johnny Depp did in the movie. Right, right. Winking yeah. at the audience and say, you know, look at me, I'm a vampire. I'm hanging upside down from the chandelier like a bat. Right. You know, we, you know our vampire was very... Very scary, but very real mm-hmm. and very serious. Yeah. And we were all encouraged to, to, to create that heightened sense of realism rather than spookiness or campiness. And that didn't mean that the show didn't come out campy. It did. <laughs> because, you know, when you, you tell someone to return to their grave <laughs> and they're covered with, you know, bloody pieces of cloth and their eyeballs are hanging out. It's campy. But we always played it for real. Right. Well, it's that it's that willing suspension of disbelief. Right. I mean, and it's it's intrinsic to the gothic tradition to play Mm -hmm. with heightened emotion. As -hmm. as you know, you, you know, studying Mm -hmm. uh, literature and that's accurate. I mean, the way the way that um, you're playing it, you know, um, and it's it didn't come. 
I always, when I read these articles, I say, oh, the camp classic dark shadows. I always say that that's, I, I don't feel it was, that it was campy at all because you were playing it in the Gothic tradition, you know? Mm-hmm. I would yeah. have loved to have had sn- snakes for hair though. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wouldn't that... <laughs> What a good idea. (laughs) Um, I know you uh, told stories about uh, kids being afraid of you uh, when Mm -hmm. they'd see you and stuff. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Well, it always took me by surprise. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that there were fans outside the studio door in the afternoon when we came out, I was always surprised. You know, I was pretty young Mm -hmm. and it, it took me a while to even get used to the fact that our show was so popular and you know, the, the, the rehearsal room filled up with piles of mail and that people began to recognize us on the street. Mm-hmm. And I had two children, so, you know, I'd take them to the baseball game or the zoo in New York City and people would recognize me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, if they were small or young children, they were terrified and they scream. I had a bunch of kids get out of school. I was on a subway platform and they recognized me and they went screaming, running to the other end of the platform. It was, you know, it was silly, but it, uh, it, it I found it very amusing and of course, very satisfying in a way to, to think that my character was, that was until I began to get hate calls at the studio and oh no threatening me threatening me with death if i didn't stop torturing barnabas oh no <laughs> the, the line yeah, between people, fantasy and reality yeah, no, is blurred people took it a little bit too seriously right 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 well it's interesting too because well i want i want to get to this but how did how did your kids react to the fact that you were you know other kids were were running in fear from they did from... not want me to pick they went to ps41 mm-hmm. and they told me I had to wait two blocks away. <laughs> they were very, very embarrassed. Oh my goodness. You know, they didn't like it at all. <laughs> and now, you're, you're, of course, your character, you became the primary antagonist of, of the show uh, for, for a while. I always say Barnabas and Angelique are kind of two sides of the same coin because Barnabas did some pretty rotten things too. I thought that dynamic was fascinating between, between the two of you and you had really great mm-hmm. chemistry together because mm-hmm. you were both playing those, the dark and the light sides. And Angelique, much like Barnabas and Quentin, became more sympathetic, I, I feel, as, as the show went more on. More boring, yes. <laughs> more boring, you think? Yeah, why so? Well, the interesting thing is I had done a lot of college, high school and college theater, a lot of summer stock. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a blue-eyed blonde, and I'd always been cast as the heroine. Mm-hmm. So when I got the part of Angelique, I assumed that I was the heroine. And I'd work on crying and creating real tears <laughs> and things. And Jonathan Frid, who was actually, if you watch his documentary, was a student of acting mm-hmm. to a greater degree than any of us ever realized. And he took, he had done a lot of theater, a lot of Shakespeare. And he said to me one day, you know, you're wasting this role. You're not, you're not the heroine. You're the heavy. You're the villain. And I said, oh, mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, you should just, you know, take this role in your teeth. And make the most of it because their heroines come and go, but you'll never get another chance to play this kind of character again. And I, I took, I, you know, I, I listened to him. And it took me a while, you know, to say, you know, to dig down deep and find the anger and the jealousy and the resentment and to to realize that I had the powers that witches had and um, to make the most of the part. And I think that he kind of gave me the incentive to see her. And I actually think of 
it is a triangle, which is, I think, more powerful than two sides of the coin, which is that uh, Josette was the other. Oh, yeah. So Josette, who was the, was truly the heroine, mm-hmm. totally innocent. And then Barnabas was torn between these two women, attracted to both of them, but of course wanted to marry the girl who was coming from the fine family and not the servant mm-hmm. who was beneath him. But he had seduced her and abandoned her, and she would have none of it. So that, you know, that gave us that tension between three characters, which mm-hmm. seemed to always work. Mm-hmm. Dan Curtis would say, if, we, if the ratings dropped, he'd say, you know, I'm going to go back to the original story, because that always brings them back in. Yeah. And he called you and Jonathan his uh, his big guns, didn't he? <laughs> when you'd, bring, yeah. you'd bring you on, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you feel? Okay, this is something that... Uh, I know some fans like and some fans don't like. I'm curious what your your thoughts are on on it. Um, and I've always put a spoiler tag at the at the top of the show. Uh, this happens at the end of the series where Barnabas realizes that he actually loves Angelique because she did something selfless for him. And she, of course, she dies in his arms, and uh, he never gets to declare his love. Now, how do how do you feel about that? That that's how it ended up. Like you mentioned this triangle with Josette, but ultimately Barnabas declares. I thought it was silly. Really? I mean, it it was silly because the thing that keeps the attention of the audience is if there's not a, you know, a realization. Mm -hmm. And if you look at many, many television shows, if the, if the heroine and the hero don't don't get together, but you desperately want them to, Mm -hmm. you hang in there. But once it's resolved, you lose interest. Mm-hmm. So I just think that the writers decided to tie the thing up because they had to go, you know, we had to go off the air. Right. I right. think if we'd stayed on the air, that would never have happened. But yeah, probably so. And then they shifted over to this uh, parallel time storyline and you played Catherine in this Wuthering Heights. Well, you know, I always right. want, I never let go of this mm-hmm. desire to be the heroine. <laughs> but Catherine was really boring compared to... Well, well I, I enjoyed it, but... <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> I don't mean Catherine Lee Scott. I mean the role. Of yeah, she's never born. No, no, certainly not. No. Um, you also, during your journey in, in Dark Shadows, and uh, there were so many great uh, theater actors as well. And you, I'm sure you are often asked about working with Jonathan and Catherine. I wanted to ask you a couple about a couple of other actors, though, on the show working with them. You had a lot of scenes with uh, Thayer David uh, when he played Ben, your servant, Ben, the servant of the mm-hmm. witch. Um, how was how was it working with uh, Thayer? He was uh, very easy to work with, extremely dependable. And he had a photographic memory. He didn't forget his lines. Yeah. And he played a a kind of bumbling, stupid servant character. Mm-hmm. And I had to boss him around. But he was not that in real life. He was much oh, no. more sophisticated. Um, you know, I also really enjoyed working with Humbert. I was going to ask about Humbert. Yeah. Yeah. He had mm-hmm. his own theater company in San Francisco. And he was an acting teacher. And he was another one that used to, you know, I was really just starting out. This is my first professional job. And he gave me a lot of, you know, he worked with me on acting techniques and simple things like, you know, what do you see there? What are you using? If you're screaming your head off because someone puts a cross in your face, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. You know, and the cross is supposed to send you into hysteria. Might be better to put something there in its place, like a, a big tarantula or something. Oh, I see. And if yeah. you do that, you know, if you do that kind of thing, he would either talk to me about these techniques, which sure. I didn't know anything about. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was comp- I was pretty new at it. And uh, it's pretty scary to do three rehearsals and suddenly be on the air in front of hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, when you think about it, you don't want to even think about it. Right. (laughs) It's like like being on a bridge or something and don't look down because it's uh, it's kind of overwhelming. And it takes a lot of experience to just be able... To, to work on camera, in other words, to get past the fear, the stage fright, you know, how tense you are. And there's a lot of things to remember. You have to be on your mark, you have to be in the light, uh, you have to remember the kinds of reactions that the director wants because the, he, you know, switches the camera to you, you get your face. You have to remember a lot of techniques. And we have very little rehearsal. Sure. And, you know, we... We get there in the morning, we, at around 8 o'clock, we block it, we run through it a couple of times, then we go down on the set and do the actual blocking with the cameras, which was much more tedious because every single shot had to be written down and practiced and you had to be on your mark. They had little X's they put on the floor with tape and if you were on your mark, you wouldn't be in the light and you had to remember which camera. They had little red lights on them, but you had to be aware which camera was... And then the whole time you had to be acting. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, we all got to be pretty good at it. You know, yeah. we got to be facile, mm-hmm. but it was, it was never easy. Could, could you never. hear the, could you hear the, I know uh, Sybil Weinberger was up in the booth playing the music. Could you hear the music from the no. studio? No. Mm-mm. Some people have, have asked uh, about that. So I should say, oh, the next time. The music added yeah. so much. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. sure. Bob mm-hmm. Colbert was, yeah, brilliant. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, you know, talking about Humbert Allen Estrada. Your scenes with Humbert were sensational. Now, this is something that I, I don't know if you, some fans have asked and just debated it. Is he meant to be a, a warlock or a demon? Warlock. I think he was a warlock. I think a he warlock. was the devil. Yeah, you, the both of you did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of the incantations that Angelique would have to say were <laughs> yes. rather disturbing at times. Were those difficult to memorize or did it ever? They're very difficult to memorize. I would imagine so. You know, Because they're not, you know, they're not really seated in anything. They're just a bunch of words. Yeah. But uh, that was the one thing you might be able to sneak a peek at mm-hmm. the teleprompter glaze your eyes and go in the incantation that's, you know, read from the teleprompter. <laughs> Speaking of eyes, when you flash that glare at uh, at someone on, on camera, I mean, it was just, you put put on the, the, the witch so mode much. and it was Thank great. <laughs> no, you've also got to play a vampire on the show. Angelique Nicholas, Blair Humbert's character, turned uh, Angelique into a vampire as punishment. Uh, what was it like playing a vampire? You got to be on Johnny Carson, too, and you bit Johnny Carson. Well, as I'm sure you've been told we were sent to the dentist uh-huh. and we were given an actual dental, what would you call it, a piece that stuck over our own teeth and made perfect vampire teeth. And you just carried it in your hand. And when the camera went to the other person, you put it in. Mm-hmm. And when the camera came back to you, we had three cameras. When the camera came back to you, you had your teeth. Mm-hmm. So then you just went <sighs> with your mouth open and you were a vampire. <laughs> the, 
I got to, one of the fun things I got to do is I got to be on the Johnny Carson show. Mm-hmm. And I did the same thing. He said, what, what's it like? And I said, well, come here. And I put my pictures. I said, come to me for comfort. And he went into my arms and the camera, of course, was on his face. My teeth and the camera came back to me and I bit down on his neck as hard as I could. And he, he spun around three times and did a pratfall on the floor. He was great. I love it. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, you know, the concentration was never on whether or not we had a, an opinion mm-hmm. about witches or vampires or whether the storyline was to our liking. The concentration was always on the performance. You know, it puts your mind in a different place. You're not, you're not judging it, you're not saying, I don't really believe this is working. You're just trying to make it work with everything you have. And uh, there's a lot more goes into that than into having opinions about what's happening, you know, or about witchcraft itself or oh, sure, vampires yeah. themselves. The assumption was it all works. Yeah. You know, if the actors believe it, it all works. Mm-hmm. So, Was it Dan Curtis who was, um, I always read, you know, that Dan was the one who was kind of bringing in these ideas about the supernatural uh, characters and storylines and things like that. What was what was Dan like to work with? He was intimidating for me. <laughs> um, he was very brusque, mm-hmm. um, impatient, easily irritated, easily annoyed. <laughs> But very, very much wanted it to be good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he he hit upon a great idea and introduced, I mean, this was the first time I think that I ever had the supernatural in daytime TV. And it, it took off, you know, mostly because of the times that we lived in. You know, we had a lot of people waking up from being stoned at four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, there was there was a lot going on out there in terms of psychedelics and the Vietnam War and the country was in turmoil and Dark Shadows was somehow fit the time. It was right. an escape and it was really, really different from anything else. And I yeah. think Dan was really smart to come up with with the, the idea and he went with it and he he encouraged the writers to do research he, i mean dark shadows ended up in some way or another retelling almost every great horror classic that had been written mm-hmm. frankenstein all of them turn of the screw I'm sure and and in a wonderful way he you know he he went back and told the whole history of gothic horror yeah, for the audience. And he said many times, it's gothic romance, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. you know, his definition of it was that it was intrinsic to the literary tradition. You know, you were you were saying uh, Dan Curtis would uh, define it as more as gothic romance. And I was I brought up the idea of the, the terror versus uh, horror. You know, there is some horror in Dark Shadows, period, you know, see a severed arm or something like that. But it's that that mm-hmm. thing that's lurking in the shadows uh, that you just catch a glimpse of, uh, you know, that I think dark, it, it, there's a sort of a dark fantasy element to Dark Shadows. Would you agree with that? Yes, very much. In fact, I've, I've actually written a lot about this. Um, the concept of terror lies in the viewer's imagination or the reader's imagination. You know, it's the scratching down the hall or the, the shuffling under your bed. It's not the monster. And, it you know, it creeps up the spine and that's how you get your hair standing on end. It's, it's what you imagine is out there, mm-hmm. which is more frightening than anything that's 
what you would call horror, which is, as you said, the severed limb or the eyeball falling out of the socket or Mm -hmm. just the bloody gore of the vampire's bite. Because I think you're repulsed by that. You know, you pull away and you go, Mm -hmm. which means you're distancing yourself emotionally. Whereas terror, you... You, you, it feeds you, and you're drawn to it. So you're much more involved. People don't realize that. You know, they think they want to see horror, but what they really want to experience is terror. And I think that that's what Dan was aware of, and I think that's more what we tried to do. I I agree. Um, I think uh, in the film versions, the, oh, the horror aspect was increased a little bit more in those, oh, but, but it was, was beautiful, wasn't it? Oh, oh yeah. How did you staking. like mm-hmm. Carolyn's staking is one of the best things I've ever seen. Oh, my television. goodness. Nancy oh, Barrett yeah. was just, she was yeah, a great she vampire. she was just great. Yeah. <laughs> how did you Perfect find? Dress. Yes. And while they were filming House of Dark Shadows, you and uh, David Selby were, were sort of uh, holding down the fort uh, on the TV show in the parallel time storyline where you played an alternate version of Angela leak and alexis and um, there was this whole rebecca storyline going on on the show um mm-hmm. and <laughs> uh, was that was that difficult to keep track of like an, an alternate version of angelique was that uh, was that no as i said we did, it, the difficulties didn't the, the difficulties were in the performance mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. wasn't different because something the storyline was different mm-hmm. it was it, it, it was still hard to do you know mm-hmm. gotcha gotcha what about the movie you know you of course you start in uh, oh that was really fun night of dark shadow well, you know, we got the we were we were indulged we had time to do the scenes to to you know to do them to take the time to make them really work mm-hmm. and um there's just so much more t- indulgence when you do films. Than you, I mean, daytime TV is one of the hardest things there is to do, especially if you have to play emotions. You know, deep, dramatic scenes. It's hard to do. Sure. It's one thing to sit around the kitchen table and talk about Martha's divorce, but <laughs> it's another thing to play, you know, crawling out of the grave and becoming some kind of a ghoul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, would, I, I would imagine. The nice thing about the movie is, I, this is funny, I can say the nice thing, but the fun thing is I got to actually be hung, hanged. Oh, oh yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's an interesting little contraption. You know, it's like a harness they put on you. Yeah. It's strapped on you, and uh, the rope comes up the back of the harness and through the noose, mm-hmm. and it looks very much like it's... It's the news around your neck. Right. And right. I love doing it. <laughs> Kicking and wiggling. and. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, yeah. I wish, um, you know, I know uh, Darren Gross has done a lot of work to, uh, you know, he's found the lost footage from Night of Dark Shadows and put it back together. And I'd love to see a release of the full Night of Dark Shadows, because, of course, it was heavily edited um, mm-hmm. by... What, what well, they, they've been trying to do that for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And it, it's I think it's a matter of MGM, who owns the film, coming up with the money to re-edit it so mm-hmm. that they can put the, the scene. So many of the scenes apparently were cut. They said the movie was too long. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of took the meat out of it. That's what mm-hmm. Dan said. Yeah. You know, I never paid any, whatever it was, it was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's, I mean. I'd love to see it come. I mean, one of the things that Jim Pearson has tried to do is 
you know, he's always said, if we can just get that movie back out there, we can have another convention mm-hmm. and uh, have a have a great old time. I, I would hope so. I mean, I think that would be you would. Would you be up for for doing another convention? I'm still alive. Yeah. <laughs> I know some some of the actors want to. Some of the actors are a little more hesitant. But I, if, oh, no, they didn't believe me. Everybody would come. Oh, I ate, you know, what? they carry on and complain, but they come. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you heard it here, folks. If make make some noise, you want another Dark Shadows Festival. I know during uh, COVID, now that we're kind of coming out of that, mm-hmm. ideally that'll continue to improve. Hopefully we can we can have something like that again. That would be great. Um, earlier, you mentioned uh, you were talking about the wonderful music from the show. Robert Colbert created a song for your character with well, the parallel time version of Angelique mm-hmm. Ode to Angelique. So uh, mm-hmm. what do you think of what do you think of your theme song? Oh, I thought the music was one of the best things about the show and the films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought everybody's song, everybody was got a song and it was, it, you know, it was just an added delight for me. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I love my song. Of course, <laughs> it's a great song. And I was I had a, did an episode on uh, Robert Colbert's music with a fan who was a musician, and he played some few bars from each of the songs we talked about. And the other Angelique song that we loved was um, the spell casting music. When Angelique is casting a spell, mm-hmm. there's this mm-hmm. sort of it mm-hmm. sound. Anytime I think of a witch casting a spell, that music comes into my head it's just this very really oh oh, it's just evocative of that of just it it is evocative yes and i thought the costumes were wonderful too oh my goodness i mean it was otherworldly in so Mm -hmm. many ways just theatrical yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you have these wonderful theater actors, yourself included, who are performing. Uh, Clarice Blackburn, she's another one that... that um, oh, she's that, a wonderful actress. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. She was, she was sensational. Now, after the show ended, you continued to do uh, shows. You were in Kolchak, The Night Stalker. Uh, the, you played a witch in that. Did you get a lot of offers to play witch characters after Dark Shadows? I was the only one. Oh, was the only one? Yeah. And Darren McGavin said to me, you know, nobody understands how to do this kind of thing. And I, he didn't have any idea who I was <laughs> <laughs> or uh, what I had done. I mean, he didn't ever watch daytime TV. Right, right, right. Uh, that's, and he well, said, you know, I don't I don't I, I don't know how to, to, to tell people how to do this because no one gets it. I went, OK. <laughs> That's a, yeah, that's a. But that was a silly part. They covered me with blue paint. I, just, I remember just that. And their scream. I mean, it was really ridiculous. Right. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, well, it was, but every it was... single show had its following. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that show had its following. And sure. the people who followed that show loved that particular episode. Oh, it was great. So it was yeah. And the people who knew you as Angelique were was like an extra bonus mm-hmm. to see this, mm-hmm. you playing a, another way. I always say these, you know, there are so many TV shows now that feature supernatural themes and 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 which characters like there's this new uh, Netflix show well, it's been a couple of years the the chilling adventures of Sabrina and they always make have uh, you know witch references and I said well they they should get Lara to to be on this show or do do a part mm-hmm. on the show or have, yes. <laughs> at least have an Angelique poster on the wall or something in the background yeah, right. uh, Some- 
some I, mention. Yes, I would, some, I would some reference. Sure. Yes, yeah, absolutely. They absolutely should. Um, now you went on, of course, to write uh, several novels that were set in the Dark Shadows world, uh, including uh, really filling out the history of uh, of your character with Angelique's descent. And I got the Salem branch from you at a festival, and you've signed it. Uh, Hugs mm-hmm. and curses, Lara Parker. <laughs> I still have that. So, what was it like diving into that world as a writer? Well, it was really a wonderful opportunity. And it was mostly by chance. Mm-hmm. There was a, an editor at HarperCollins who got the idea of doing a series of Dark Shadows novels. And Jim Pearson said, well, you know, Lara's been taking screenwriting classes at you know UCLA Extension, and she's you know interested in writing. So she had a meeting with me, and she said, we're, we'd like for you to, you know, write the first one. And I, you know, I was completely, I was, I have no idea how to write a novel. I mean, I had, I never in a million years would have imagined myself doing anything like that. And she said, well, I'll tell you what, if you just, you know, try to come up with something, and then we'll get one of our staff writers, professional writer, to come in and kind of fix it. And that way we can put your name on it. And I think a lot of actors in various TV shows have done this. You know, they've written for the TV show and and they've had a professional writer kind of clean it up and turn it into a real book. But when she said that, I was kind of insulted. I said, you mean I, I would write, I would work on something and write it and somebody would change it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine I was... So she said, well, just see what you can do. Send me the first 50 pages. So I, you know, I I did what anyone would have done. I I started reading novels for how they were written rather than the story. And I tried really hard to figure out how to do it from the standpoint of craft. And I couldn't even, you know, I I start to read something like Moby Dick and I go, I can't do anything (laughs) like this. I think it was Daphne de Maurier, the first time mm-hmm. I read a story that I thought was a simple enough, straightforward style that maybe I could do something like that. Mm-hmm. So I started writing, and I sent her 50 pages, and she said, way too many adjectives. That was her first criticism, and that was a good one, because she, uh, she was right, you know, it was, it was, they were very overwritten. But she said, better overwritten, because you can always pull it back. And she worked with me, back and forth and back and forth. And I realized that my time on the show had given me a kind of awareness of how stories progressed. And I had a kind of knack for horror. (laughs) I don't know where it came from. I really don't. It just, uh, maybe from all the reading I did when I was in, you know, when I was a little girl and when I was in college, I was pretty much a, a reader. Mm-hmm. And I just was lucky in the, in, in the sense that, I mean, everyone didn't agree. I got a lot of bad reviews. But for the most part, the fans were very responsive because they were so hungry for any kind of story about the characters. And I had the mm-hmm. setting and the characters, you know, t- to use. They were already in place. And I all I had to do was create new stories. And I wanted so badly to tell the story of my character, how she became a witch, and make her more sympathetic, and make her understandable, and for you to see how torn she was. 
And of course, like anybody, I've experienced heartbreak <laughs> in romance. So Did you... I don't know. I just, uh, I really was lucky in the sense that I got this opportunity. And then they said, well, why don't you do another one? So I said, I have to really take this seriously now. And I went to graduate school and, and got a master's in creative writing. And I, you know, I took classes in, in all kinds of writing. And I did a lot of reading and a lot of, wrote a lot of essays. And, I, you know, I broadened my understanding to a certain degree. And uh, then I did... Uh, Another one, and then the fourth one, the heiress of Collinwood. I don't even know how I did it. I was just so worn out by then. I can't even remember writing that one. But a lot of people like it the best because it's first person, which in a certain way makes it more accessible. So um, it was really a great experience. And some people write another one. I go, no, I, could, I don't have it in me. <laughs> how much, how did you... Uh structure your your day in terms of writing did you did you set aside time every morning to do it or was it um Um, mostly i wrote in the afternoon i finally Mm -hmm. get you know start to feel so guilty i'd sit down and do something (laughs) i'm not a disciplined person me Um, neither (laughs) if i had it to do over again i would try very hard to make it a daily activity Mm -hmm. um and sometimes i write all night right into the night i wrote um yellow pad and pencil And so the typing was the first edit, and that worked for me. I also had um, both times HarperCollins and Tor, who did the last three books, asked for an outline. So I submitted an outline, and that would be the beginning. And I did the outline on a board with 30 or 40 cards, the way you do a screenplay. And I'd move card to card. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd count how many I had left. (laughs) And I kept, I'd always, always do the word count. Because I had to get to 350, 350 pages before I was done. You know, it was kind of a struggle in a lot of respects. But if you want to know the truth, that's what writing is. You just have to do it every day. Yeah. And my husband is a builder. And he said, you know, he said, if you're going to build a house, you got to go to work every day. And after a while, the house is there. And I went, yep, that's, it's not, it's not inspiration and, and, it's just plugging along, plugging sure. along. Yeah. And especially when when you just scribble with a pencil, it doesn't have that, you know, that, that what would you call it, that permanence to it that it does mm-hmm. when you type it. And, you know, I circle things and move them around, and scribble things in the margin. And the wonderful thing when you're writing, when you really get into it, is that everything starts to feed you. Mm-hmm. Every, you know, every offhand remark, every... Thing you read in the newspaper, everything you see when you drive on the street, everything starts to feed you. And you say, oh, I can use that. Well, maybe I could put that there in that place and that would make this work. And it all starts to kind of braid into itself and weave into itself. And that's when it's really fun. Oh, yeah. And you clearly uh, did a lot of research as well, because I, I live in Massachusetts. I'm from Massachusetts, but I, I lived in Salem for six months. And uh, really? yeah, yeah. And a lot of the well, stuff. You in recognized this, a few things. Then, I yeah. sure did. I said, wow, she really she really did a lot of research and get the some of the locations and just the whole vibe of it. I was like, well, wow. I went to Salem. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw the, there. the video of that. There's one of the DVDs where you revisit Salem, which is was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, was that fun researching that? I'm sad. I'm sad. Too. Very, because the trials themselves mm-hmm. are actually written down. 
you can get books and you can read the actual trials from them, which is what they were when they were questioned and how they responded mm-hmm. and the kinds of things that the that the ministers would say mm-hmm. and the way they would pray and the way they would word things and the you know the just reeked of hypocrisy mm-hmm. and in every one of my books I tried to find the underdog you know the those who were being treated unfairly in Angelique's descent, of course, it was the slaves in Martinique and the sugar plantation. And in Salem Branch, it was those who were accused of witchcraft, you know, the older women, the scolds who had property that the uh, town wanted to take away from them. And in uh, Wolf Moon Rising, uh, I can't remember. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then in Eris, the Eris, it was the gypsies. Mm-hmm. which was fun. I did a lot of research of gypsies. Mm-hmm. Um, gypsies were an element in Dark Shadows that I had never investigated. And, of course, the gypsies are are definitely, there's a lot of prejudice against gypsies. Sure. So I found a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Um, Wolf Moon Rising was, was, was prohibition. Oh, And the right. whole idea that if, you know, that you could end up in jail if you made moonshine. But if you right. had a lot of money, there was no problem. You could have all the rum you wanted. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea of division of the classes and uh, how the wealthy had their way. Right. And that was fun, doing the research on the 20s. I read and read and read about the 20s. I mean, you think you know all about it, but when you start to read about it, it's it's a lot of fun. And so that part of Wolf Moon Rising was fun. And it must have been fun writing about, um, you know, you had written Salem Branch and Angelique's Descent, and then you kind of shifted the focus now to writing about Quentin, and then you did Victoria mm-hmm. Winter, so then exploring other... Did you revisit um, episodes of the of the show to kind of re-familiarize oh, yeah. yourself with some of that? Yeah. You know, and I was so fortunate. I mean, I was given such free reign. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who write for shows, like I've talked to people who... I've talked to one writer who wrote for Buffy. Mm-hmm. You know, she said, you really have to toe the line. They have rules, things you can't do, things you, know, you can't change the stories, can't change the characters. You know, the thing is that nobody really paid any attention to what I did. <laughs> I don't think anybody who was in charge mm-hmm. ever read any of my books, but the oh. fans loved them. You yeah. Know, so. you, and you made some really unique and interesting choices there. Like you you explored in the show, they they touched a little bit on Angelique's backstory with the Miranda, the whole Miranda thing, which they never really clarified how that how that worked. Like, is she a, is Angelique a reincarnation of Miranda, et cetera? But you mm-hmm. went into more depth. So she is Angelique is meant to be the reincarnation of Miranda, correct? Yes, they're supposed to be. The, I love the whole idea of reincarnation. And I love the fact that she lived each time. And each of the book has a season, you know, all four seasons. Oh, and right. each, of the, each of the books has, a, um, she is born of earth, air, fire, and water. Mm-hmm. And each of the four books is one of those. I mean, not many people are going to pick up on that. But it was fun for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> you know, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Salem Branch was the fall, of course. Yeah. It was the trees. And uh, the fact that she actually had power over the trees, the trees responded to her. Mm-hmm. And that she flew through the trees and slept in the trees. And, mm-hmm. and I just thought that was all great. Yeah. And then uh, Wolf Moon Rising was the winter. There was lots and lots mm-hmm. of snow. And... 
like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see, uh, um, I had a, an, a Jim Beard on here, who was the editor of the recent book that came out, uh, Running Home to Shadows, which was a collection of essays about uh, people who grew up watching Dark Shadows. Uh, and yes. he- yeah. And he, at one point, uh, he's, he's done a lot of fiction as well. And he, he pitched the idea, I think it was Sator of doing a, a Dark Shadows anthology book with you, uh, writing the lead story in the book and then other authors also contributing tales in the Dark Shadows world. And I thought that was a great idea, but I guess the, they said anthologies just in general don't, don't sell as well as novels. So they, they nixed mm-hmm. the idea, but I would, I would love to see something like that. And I'd love to see you contribute to that as well. Yeah. Well, I, I have contributed to some, I don't know what happened to them, but um, I think that Tor would be willing to do almost anything. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you have to, I was just always very, very lucky that they let me do another one, you know. Oh, got to do four. <laughs> and I think the last, I don't think the heiress, I don't think heiress sold well enough for them to, I don't think they would do a fifth. But I, I don't know, maybe somebody could, somebody else could apply and make an effort. Well, I, I would hope that you would you would also because I think there's involved. a big market out there. I think there's still a lot of people who for, for love sure. to read. Yeah, and I uh, mean, next has to be, of course, Josette. Oh, Her story has never oh. been told, oh. and so, there's another another lay another level to Josette. Oh, which oh is, tantalizing hints here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be great. It's not um, all sweetness and honey. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had a feeling. I had a feeling there was there was another yeah. element there. Um, you also got to do the big f- uh, finish uh, audios. You returned uh, to your role as Angelique. Um, uh, is there anything brewing uh, as far as that goes, or not anymore? Oh, we got to years. We got to do these audio dramas. Of course, they had nothing to do with Dark Shadows. They were not told in the tone I of Dark Shadows. Yeah. Yep. And they were, you know, most of them were written by people in England who just wrote all kinds of different ways, but it wasn't Dark Shadows. But we stopped complaining. Oh. We just went in and made our money. You know? <laughs> right. I liked I liked some of the earlier, like Kingdom of the Dead. I had Stuart Manning on here, and uh, I was talking about Kingdom of, the, Kingdom of the Dead. And some of those earlier ones I felt were mm-hmm. a little closer to uh, Dark Shadows. I feel like it's kind of wandered off on it. On its own. Yeah, I think in the beginning they tried a lot harder, mm-hmm. but then as they continued to be successful enough to sell, and they, you know, scratching for writers and scratching for actors, most of us, well, some of us were, you know, very grateful for the opportunity to work. Mm-hmm. We came in and gave it our all. Um, and it was great so, hearing you again, all, yeah. of, you, all of you and, and reprising your roles. You know, it was just it was really cool to hear that. And, and you all interacting with each other and, and doing mm-hmm. scenes together and stuff. So that was mm-hmm. super fun. Uh, so and I, I'm, I know a lot of fans would love to see it uh, continue. So uh, but I was curious because I haven't heard anything lately about about. Big I don't Finish. think they're doing any more, but that is a kind of enjoyable activity because it's just sound. It's just mm-hmm. your voice. So you don't have to worry about how you look <laughs> and, <laughs> and what, you know, whether your reaction is on camera or whether your hair has been done or anything, you know, you just, mm-hmm. it's just talk. And it's, it's kind of, kind of an interesting craft to do voice drama. Yeah, sure. Um, last thing I want to, I want to ask you about as, uh, do you have any thoughts you want to share with fans on, uh, on this auspicious occasion of your, uh, legendary characters, 55th anniversary here? Like any, any thoughts on Angelique just, or the fans or. 
All I can say about the fans of this show is they are each and every one is a treasure. And I'm so grateful to them because it's they've kept the show alive. And, you know, we're going 50 plus years, which is just ridiculous. And the fact that we had two films made and then then Johnny Depp came along and made one. It's just it's like it's just a unbelievable that we've had this kind of run and i'm grateful to the fans the fans are they're the most loyal fans you could ever imagine and they stick with the show and they talk about it and they love it and just just my gratitude knows no bounds i'm just i love them all that's wonderful uh and uh, and everyone adores you. I mean, anytime I've mentioned <laughs> your name, I mean, Thank everybody you. just lights up and, oh, well, uh, and certainly, uh, you know, I, as listeners know, I've, for many years, I did a local horror movie show as Penny Dreadful the Witch. And I always, anytime anybody interviews me and says, oh, what are, what are your inspirations for your witch character? Uh, Angelique mm-hmm. is always <laughs> in that list. I always say Lara Parker is Angelique. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic. Um, well, the nice thing about a, a witch is she can make mistakes. Uh-huh. And, and I built that into the character mm-hmm. and I built it into the character in all the novels. She was prone to mess up. <laughs> yes. And then it's fun to watch her yeah. scrambling yeah, to try to, 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 to get out of it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. She was, you know, she she was young and and, and often foolish. And I love that about her. So. Um, yeah. Are there any plans? Uh, can you can you hint at for another cast uh, online Zoom reunion like you did with the Christmas Carol? Or is well, that- if Catherine Lee Scott has her way, <laughs> there will be. <laughs> oh, good. She's good. the great energy behind you know continuing to find um, activities that'll interest the fans, and she's she's very good at it. And I'm, I'm I tend to just when she calls, I say okay. <laughs> but I don't. I don't think them up. If you, but I don't know. I suppose as I think the second movie, if they ever get it released, re-released, mm-hmm. it might be an opportunity for celebration. Sure. And I hope that happens. And there's also the. I had Mark Perry on here talking about the Dark Shadows reincarnation. If that ever gets off the ground. It sounds like that. What did he say? Um, it sounds like there's movement on it. I mean, the last time I had him on was around Christmas and they, he was still pitching it to streaming channels, mm-hmm. but, but he's recently started posting online that he's still pursuing it. And that uh, mm-hmm. he said, I'm still climbing Widow's Hill. He, uh-huh. He's not, he's very determined to, to get this going because he's, he's a mm-hmm. big fan too. So it would yeah. be. I wrote him a letter and I said, mm-hmm. I'd just like to sit down and talk to you mm-hmm. because I do think that most of the people who've tried to do Dark Shadows again have missed something really important. And I wanted to talk to him about that mm-hmm. because I do think there's a tendency the world has changed mm-hmm. and we don't live in the same in the same innocence and naivete, oddly enough, as we did when Dark Shadows was on the air. I mean, if you think back, we really did believe that love is all you need. <laughs> you know, we thought we could walk around and put flowers in the muzzles of guns mm-hmm. of the guards that sit around and and guarded the schools, for instance. And now we know that that's not so. The world has changed. And Dark Shadows represented something that, it, you know, was deeper than the escape into horror. It was, it was a kind of radical alternative way of seeing the world. And today, people are so sophisticated, you know, they want to make sure that you see that they get the joke. They're not taken in. Uh-huh. 
And that's a mistake. Dark Shadows has to have a deep kind of sincerity and belief in it is an ultimate morality in that show that goes very deep and a belief that there is goodness in people. That's why all the evil characters ended up doing good things. Yeah, yeah. And that dichotomy between what is evil in people and what is their tendency towards goodness. And, you know, those those elements have to be investigated. You can't just be clever. And I, that's one of the things I wanted to tell him. And... Uh, but he, he wrote me back and he said, sorry, I'm, I'm not allowed to talk to you. Um, and I haven't read any of your books. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to make sure that I knew that so that I wouldn't accuse him of copying something. Oh, gosh. Yeah, he maybe it's I know, there's that legal, element. legal thing. Yeah, yeah, there's that element. It exists and and everyone is very, very careful. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I was not interested in any, I didn't want any money and I didn't want any credit. I just wanted to tell him what... The feeling I have about what the feelings I have about what make Dark Shadows so fascinating and so successful, mm-hmm. and uh, but he he <laughs> he wasn't interested. Well, to I, I'm 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 sure that um you know he like he's he's a fan been a fan since childhood and I he and if you go back and listen to that interview he certainly is very sincere in his uh, his approach to it and I think uh, I I absolutely agree with you about the the deep morality and how the, these characters who were started as antagonists in the show would sort of gradually become the protagonists of the show the supernatural characters who you know caused all these horrible things to happen did have there was a some glimmer of hope in there and that they would kind of, and they would strive for that somehow. Uh, and it's, that's an excellent insight that you, that you. And when you think about the vampire, what is mm-hmm. it about the vampire that fascinates? Mm-hmm. And you realize that anything that's dead, even if it's a bug on the floor, makes you go, Oof, get away, get away. You know, mm-hmm. you pull away from it. You're, you know, you feel disgust. And the concept of immortality, which is living forever, is the ultimate dream of the human being, right? You you don't want to die. You want to live forever, right? You want to have immortality. So that's why we have religion. And you put those two things together. You know, you're repulsed by death, but you want to live forever, even after you're dead. And here comes this creature who is living forever, but is dead. You have a real kind of tension between two elements that are pulling against each other. And you think about, you start thinking about what life and what life means. What is the meaning of life? Are we, you know, is it to, is it to live forever? Or is it to live a good life while we're here? And you really start to delve into what morality is. And I, you know, I don't think many, many people think about dark shadows and those terms. But if you think about why we, we love vampires, and you go, I don't know, we just do. <laughs> <laughs> and then you think about what it means, you know, to be engaged and fascinated by something that is not only alive, but alive forever. And would we want this? Mm-hmm. And what is it to be a vampire? You know, mm-hmm. what is it to be immortal? Is it that great? <laughs> right. Sure. You know, is it that great to be living forever? Mm-hmm. Or does it come with its own problems? 
and so it, I don't it know. resonates on 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 that yes. on that level though for sure i mean it, uh, i think even if people maybe aren't conscious of it even there i think you're right it is uh, connecting on that level as well because these are things we all struggle with as human beings our mortality you know so uh and we it, certainly do we sure, do yeah you know uh so uh, excellent insights what a what a delightful conversation this was Alara. Oh, thank I, you thank you so much for joining me today oh on i the enjoyed show. it you know obviously <laughs> i can talk forever about these things so you just oh. have to be the one to shut me up <laughs> oh gosh i'll have to have you back on sometime so we can do a, a part two uh down the road and and continue this uh fascinating exploration um and happy anniversary to Angelique. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, please do celebrate by popping in an Angelique episode or uh, however, however you want to sell, you know, recite one of the incantate favorite Angelique. Well, you've been wonderful. I mean, what insightful questions I've never, I don't think I've ever, I guess it's because you're an English teacher, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's one to another. I'm 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 blushing. Yes, yeah. You you taught English too, so you know the you know the essay grading pile uh, continues to grow every week. Yeah. But but thank you very much, and thank you for listening to Terror at Collinwood. And as soon as you finish listening to this episode, please head on over to Lara Parker's official website at Lara Parker site. Dot blogspot.com and there you can find autographed merchandise from Lara herself and there's lots of great information on the site it's a beautiful website so do check it out also big thank you to past terror at Collinwood guest Rod Labby be sure to read Rod's great interview with Lara Parker in Retrofan magazine number 17 and I will put a link to that in the show notes and if you listen to this podcast on YouTube please be sure to subscribe to the channel and please be sure to like the video if you listen on Apple Podcasts. If you get the opportunity, please do rate and review the podcast. That does help the podcast out, helps it to grow, and definitely please do share with your friends. If you have friends who are fans of Dark Shadows, let them know about the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And for as long as they lived, the Dark Shadows never truly vanished. For there will always be Terror at Collinwood. Terror at Collinwood is a Penny Dreadful production.